0: Okay. Well, good morning. So good to see so many of you here this morning. Rich and I were just chatting here at the front. It's so amazing to see so many guests and so many people just coming through these doors. So we're so glad that you are with us this morning. Thank you so much for giving your time to come and be with Jesus, be with his people. And we trust that you are going to be enriched this morning by just being here. Um, And I hope you've been welcomed well. And I'm definitely feeling the weight of preaching this this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at John 19, the crucifixion of Jesus, and there is so much here for us in this passage um, that we can't fully do justice to in these next few moments, but hopefully there are some nuggets in here that are going to practically help you to love Jesus more and to understand just the weight of the cross and the freedom that Jesus has given you. But before we get there, I have to talk about this weekend. So for those who don't know me, my name is Liam, I'm married to Priska, uh, and we are part of the wider leadership team here at 502. And we also, as part of our work here at church, we look after the students and 20s group at this church. So that's both Older Road and here. You'll see them kind of herded together, always sat in this section, always together, always a unit Um, and we've had the pleasure, we've literally just got back from Studland, so Studland Bay, you take the ferry over, and we took our students in 20s away Friday evening to Sunday morning to just have some time together, an official weekend away. We'd never done it before, And so we're a little bit like, oh, okay, this could go one of two ways. Either no one makes it across the ferry, or actually we have an amazing time. And I think, actually, the consensus was that they love Studland, could have actually done with more time. Is that fair, guys, that you would have liked it to be a week long or something ridiculous like that? (laughs) So I think they want to do it again. So I'm, I'm taking that as, as a win, and I just wanted to profile this because what we're going to do is just get a couple of our students in 20s up, we don't often get a chance to get them publicly up the front, um, and I know they hate to come up the front, so what I've done is I've primed a couple of them just to come and simply share their reflections from the weekend and their big takeaway. So this is us, okay, Dylan at the front there, just have a little look there, Dylan's going to come up in a moment and explain that pose in the photo, but this is... Yeah, this is the Student 20s family. We had so many of us together. I think, with adults included, we we're getting up to near having 30 people there, which for a church our size is amazing. Um, and yeah, it was just an amazing time. I love looking at this picture, just seeing all those faces, uh, and we had a brilliant time together. So, if I could just invite Akuna, Dylan, and I think Blessings is loitering somewhere. Where are you? Right at the back. If you guys could just come up. Yeah, can we just welcome them up? <laughs> Okay, so, can you just start by just introducing yourselves?
1: Hi, I'm Akuna.
0: Hi, I'm Dylan. Hi, I'm Blessings. Seamless. Um, Akuna's gonna start. Akuna, just give us a a flavor of your reflection on the weekend.
1: Um, Going in, I didn't really know what to expect, so I came in with like an open mind. Um, But I really had a lovely time, I met amazing people, made new friends, um, made new connections and deeper connections with people. Uh, we went to the beach, we went on a hike, we played games together, we had amazing um, talks and sessions with our leaders Liam Prisker, Steve, Catherine, Catherine and <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> the is getting to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we had like prophetic words preached over us, and that was amazing. Um, yeah, we took plenty pictures and made TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I'm not going to explain that post. (laughs) I don't think it needs explaining. (laughs) But basically, Liam came up to me about five minutes ago and was like, you're talking. I was like, okay. No need need to say that. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so what am I going to say? And it's pretty much all been covered. But um, (laughs) the first thing that came to mind was something I said at the start of the weekend, which was, what are you expecting? And I said, fun, friends, and Jesus. And the thing... Coming away, what I really felt was fun, family, and Jesus. Mm. And so, something I've really been feeling recently is like the Lord telling me you're out in your wilderness at the moment. But being there, I sort of got this picture of sat in a cave with a roaring fire, and the Lord saying, This is your home, this is your people, this is where you
1: need to be. Brilliant.
0: I didn't tell him to say that, just to clarify.
1: Um, I think for me, one takeaway um, was from Catherine's session. She spoke about hearing from God. Um, last few weeks have been really hectic and busy, and it just feels like I've not really had time just to sit down and just listen. So, yeah, it was a really good um, time to get some like, practical advice on how we can just be patient and tune in and uh, listen to God. Brilliant.
0: Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Give so hopefully, yeah, that's just helpful to just get a sense of the impact that this weekend had. That's why we wanted to do it. We said it to them over and over again. We're here for you guys. This is not about us just getting a nice little holiday on Studland. We really wanted them to encounter God and come back and in some way feel, right, I've got momentum, I've made new friends, I feel part of this group. So that's, that's just amazing to hear. Um, and we really do value and love our young people. I count myself as a 31-year-old, still young but bordering on, these guys make me feel very old. But our actual young people, our students in our 20s, are so important to the life of Gateway. Um, And obviously Prisca and I are very biased in that. But genuinely, they're such great people who can teach us a lot, the rest of the church. And so I just make a plea to you now while I'm at the front. As a church, can we make a real effort to just love these guys, get to know them? There's two things you need to know. They move in packs. So if you can siphon someone off from the herd, that's brilliant, and just get to know them. And secondly, they respond well to food. So if you want to love these guys, get their respect, then you cook for them, and all of a sudden, they'll be over every day. Um, manual labor is also an option. Rich, you know all about that. You've got one of your, our students to do some gardening for you, um, which is still not forgiven you for. But yeah, there's just so much potential for you guys to connect with them. I know they'd love to do it, and it's not easy being a young person trying to get to know the wider church family. Um, and particularly with Christmas in mind, Rich has already mentioned busy season, family season, and we have quite a lot of international students. And the reality for them is they're not going to be going home. They will still be here. And so the question I'd like to just put to you briefly is, do you, any of you have room around your table this Christmas for one or two students, one of this lot, to come over to your house, and just to do Christmas with you. It doesn't need to be anything fancy, but we really want these guys to feel like, yes, I'm included, and at these massive holidays, it's not nice to be away from your family. So just putting a public plea out there, if you think, yeah, we can have a student, we would love to get them doing the washing up, we would love to have them involved, they would love to do that. They won't tell you that, but they'd love to do that. (laughs) Um, so please come talk to Priska. Eye. I. I think Matt Painter's not here this morning, but he's taking a bit of a lead on it as well. We would love to just connect them into you better, and you will learn from them too. So we really do love our students. Um, so yeah, that's, that's enough of them. Let's get on to the, the passage this morning. So as I've said, we've got a, a big, meaty passage this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 19, and it's the crucifixion of Jesus. Richard said, we've, we've called this series, That You May Believe. We've been journeying through John for a few months. That you, Gateway, may believe. That's what the message of John is all about. We've gone through Jesus' ministry from his birth. We've seen the miracles. We've seen the teaching. And now we're coming to the climax of Jesus on the cross. The reason that all of us are here, the reason that we have been given the gospel message is this in part. So my question to you from the outset is simply this, just before we read. Are you living in light of the cross today and what Jesus has done for you? So I'm sure most of us have heard of the message of the cross. If you're visiting today, really, really pleased you're here because you're going to hear it fresh. Most of us know the reality of the cross in our mind, but are we living in the light of the cross? Does it inform the way you live? Has it actually penetrated your soul? And do you now live in freedom as a, as a result of the cross? That's my question to you today, and we're going to be coming back to this. So we're going to read chapter 19. We've got Maita, another one of our students, to come read to us. She didn't realize how how long this passage was, so I told her right at the last minute, so she'd say yes. Uh, We're going to go through this passage together. It's quite lengthy, but it will be up on the screen, and it's just really important that we engage with this, and then I'll be bringing some reflections off the back of it. So, Maita, over to you. Thank you.
1: And then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. One more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, They shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief of priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answers, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the high supply, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and stripes of linen that was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there.
0: Thanks, Maita. Brilliant. Thank you, Maita. So as I'm sure you can reflect on that, there is so much that we could talk about today. Uh, and in the time that's left, I'd really like to just pick out a few reflections of the cross. And I think this is an exercise that can be quite difficult for us, to be honest. Um, when we, we think about atonement, I don't think we're brilliant at thinking about sacrifice as a society. But I really want to hone in on that term atonement and what Jesus' atonement on the cross has won for us. So I figured we're going to be using this term a lot, so let's define it. Um, So hopefully behind me will be a couple of definitions for you. And this is just to help us get our head around exactly what I mean as I refer to it. So to atone is to make amends for a wrong or injury. And then a second definition that I think is helpful. Atonement is the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So I think that second one is pivotal for us. Just wanted to put that in your your mind at the beginning. And I think our culture in particular, you run these definitions past them. We use atonement. You might use it in a business context or a sporting context. Someone has atoned for their error. They've made up for an earlier error. But actually, I think we live in a culture that isn't particularly bothered about sacrifice, about denying ourselves. We live in a very individualistic society. Um, And I think... It's hard in a selfish culture to recognise and embrace a selfless saviour. And so I think for us, it's a real lesson this morning to get back to the cross and to understand just what it meant for Jesus to sacrifice himself for you. When we don't see many examples of that, if any, in our society, we may think, wow, just can't get my head around the cross. Well, hopefully these next few moments will help you do that. Uh, just to further that point I've just made about us being so individualistic in our society. Some of you may have seen the, the Marks and Spencers Christmas ad. Can you just put your hand up if you've seen this in some form? Okay, not many of you. I'm about to spoil it for the rest of you. So when you do see it, in the next few weeks, you'll have this context, so you're welcome. So this is M&S's advert that is all about loving this and the basis of this advert, it's worth just going online to have a look at, they get, they've roped in lots of famous people off the TV, and they show these scenes of people setting up their houses for Christmas in the way that they don't particularly want to do. It's basically to appease their family or their friends. So you have someone putting, he's thinking, what do I put on top of the tree? Is it... This thing that a kid's made that's not very good, or a really nice gold star. Okay, I'll do what I should do. I'll put the, the rubbish thing on top of the tree. Someone else puts elves outside their house that they really hate. Someone else has to have a tablecloth in a certain way. And you can, see, you can feel they're painting this picture of, okay, this is not really my Christmas. This is a Christmas because we're, we're in community. I'm, I've got people coming over. And then what they eventually do is they say, no, 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 no. It's not about that mess. It's about this mess, the this that you want. You should have the Christmas that gives you happiness and joy. So then what they do towards the end of the advert, they start smashing the elves outside the front door because that's not what they want for Christmas. They rip the top of the Christmas tree off and they put the thing they want on top. And it's really, really strange. It's basically a case of you do you because Christmas is about you. That is simply the message. There's, There's so much... So much abuse coming back to m and for this advert. So many people saying, what on earth is that about? You're literally feeding into this. Everything is about you, consumerism. Don't think about anyone else. And I just found that fascinating, that that's the general message. At Christmas time, it's about you. You do what makes you happy. It's not about other people. Forget your family. Tell your friends to go and do something else. It's about what you want. Eat what you want. Play what you want. Dress how you want. And I just found that really interesting. So let's break free of that and let's look at some of the reflections of the cross. I hope these will be an encouragement to you. And Whether you see Jesus this morning as your saviour already or you see him simply as a stranger, this is for you. There's, there's things in this for both of you. So the first thing I'd just like to say, and this may seem really basic and simple, but I think it's something that we need to address first and foremost when we come to the cross, is that the atonement was needed So why am I starting with this? Well, I think one of the biggest barriers for people today in 2023 coming to know Jesus, stepping into a building like this, is that they they just don't see a need for a saviour. I reckon if we just did a little church jolly right now down 502 Ashley Road, Gordon led us in his high-vis jacket, and we just spoke to a whole bunch of people, the majority would say, oh yeah, you guys are great, You know, I love what you do for the community, but I don't I don't need a savior like you coming to me saying oh you're a sinful person do you realize that that often doesn't land very well saying oh actually yeah you're not a good person come to my church people think they are fine they think if you tithe to charity if you leave a legacy for your family if you have kids and raise them okay put them in good schools then you go you have lived a good life maybe people even think they can work their way up to heaven but the bible is very clear on the reality of sin as a real thing, a real concept, and the fact that it impacts all of us, so it's not optional once you come to believe in Jesus. And I think as a society, we're so good at spotting it in others. Actually, you may have someone on the street saying, "I'm not sinful. I don't know what, why you're coming at me with this. I'm okay. I help with the food bank in Bournemouth." On to the next person you go, but actually. We're so good. You look at the news, you look on social media feeds, we're constantly saying, so-and-so's done this. This is an injustice. This is immoral. We need to cancel this person. There needs to be justice delivered here. We're so good at seeing how broken the world is, but when it's turned on us, we think we're the good guys and actually think, oh, I'd never, how many times have you said, oh, I can't imagine what would lead someone to do this or that when you see it on the news? But Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason society is so broken is because of sin, not because of a lack of sin. The reality is ever since Genesis, where Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and this is almost Christianity 101, this is basics, but it's things that we often just take for granted. Ever since they defied God, ate from the tree that they should not have eaten from, the perfect image and likeness that they were made in was broken, and now we are tarnished with that brush. We are born into a broken image. We inherit that broken image. We are all innately bent in on ourselves. We don't just come out of the womb and worship Jesus. We come out, and our instinct is to do what we want to do. Do the m and ad. Go and do what you want. You do you. I really like this quote from Nabil Qureshi. So he was a, a Pakistani-American apologist, died a few years ago um, as a young man. But he says this about sin. I find it really helpful. It should come up behind me. He says, what makes sin so devastating is that God is holy. God is life, love, goodness, hope, joy, peace, and purpose. So if I sin, I'm intentionally removing myself from all of that. I'm taking myself away from the source of all goodness when I sin. I am destroying my soul. God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He hates sin. And so, therefore, it cannot be compatible. And that's why we need to understand the power of the cross in righting this wrong. Our default setting, as I've said, is to serve ourselves. We can, even as if you've been a Christian 30, 40, 50 years, you can so easily forget that actually you have a need for a saviour. You need to be thankful for what Jesus has done. It's not a a one-time thing where you say thank you to him on the day of your salvation and then you just do your life the way you want to. We need to constantly come back to the reality that, oh, it's another day. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done for me. Don't take it for granted. And the reality was the only way for us to ever be brought back into relationship with God is if someone atoned for us, that word, atoned. We needed our debt-paying, In order to make a way for us to get back home, get back to the garden. It's all about getting back to God. God wants us back in that relationship with him, back in the garden where we had his full presence. That is the aim. If you look at the Bible from Genesis 3 onwards, that is the story. It is God's recovery plan to get a people back for himself as it was always designed to be, and we see the completion of that in Revelation with the new Eden. And I just want to pick out Genesis 3.15, because this is often termed as the original gospel, where you first hear the gospel plan from God himself. He tells us the game plan when he says to the snake, Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is God's redemptive plan to undo our mess, to undo our brokenness, And he tells us what is going to happen. But the problem is we cannot save ourselves. You cannot save yourself from your own muck. So this saviour that was coming couldn't merely be a man because there'd be no different to us. So what we needed was the God-man who would enter into our mess and would be with us to rescue us. And I love these statements in John 19. Pilate says in verse 5, here is the man so appealing to, here's this physical man in front of me, just like you and I, flesh. But then the Jewish leaders in verse 7 say, well, he claimed to be the son of God. So you've got this parallel, son of God, man. And it made me think, do we, do we recognize enough the person of Jesus as the God-man who atoned for us? Or are we more comfortable with Jesus the man? Or are we more comfortable with Jesus in his divinity? but actually we struggle to put the two together because it's powerful, it's important we understand this. Because the crucifixion was the cruelest form of execution. It was only saved and reserved for prisoners and for slaves. So for Jesus to come and die for us, he didn't die a noble death, a death that actually wouldn't take long, wouldn't be too much pain. Okay, Father, I'll do this, but only if actually it's quick. He chose the most humiliating public death for us, To atone for our sin. And I think, again, that's something that we can often lose sight of because the visuals of what it is to be crucified is so removed from our culture today. But when you think about what that would have been like, it's horrific. It is not the way you want to go. You would never choose to go that way. But there's a message of hope this morning because as the snake bruised his heel, that's the death on the cross. It also says in Genesis 3.15 that ultimately he would crush the head of the snake. That is what Jesus has won for us this morning by his resurrection. And that's going to be next week's talk. My second point is that the atonement was orchestrated. And I love this because what I mean by orchestrated is that at no point was Jesus railroaded into the part of Calvary. It wasn't a last minute choice of, oh, maybe this would be a good option. I'm here now, I'm in, I'm in the city, let's do it this way. It was always the plan. Jesus was resolute, he was brave, and he knew that this was the plan that needed to happen. It was always God's plan to redeem. And I love this passage. There's so many examples of how it shows us how God is in control. I don't know if you've noticed how many times it says, in order to fulfill scripture, or you think, oh, actually, this doesn't look accidental. This looks as if the father... And Jesus are actually in on this plan. And it's, I just, I absolutely love it. And I'm going to focus on one example because we don't have time for, for the copious amounts there are. But Pontius Pilate, I find such a fascinating figure. We've spoken about him uh, last week. Rich spoke about him. He is such an interesting figure in this passage. You could do a case study on him. He's just so fascinating. Because this is a man who was governor of Rome, really powerful. He served under the Emperor Tiberius, but he's a complex figure, and you see his humanity in this passage. And I feel like you can have a cheap shot at Pilate, like we kind of do with Jonah sometimes, when you think, oh, don't be a Jonah, don't do what Pilate did, you wouldn't catch me doing that. But actually, in reality, there is a lot we can relate to with Pilate. Pilate thinks he is the man in this situation. He thinks he is the powerful one. He asked the crowd, he asked Jesus, as if to say Give me something to work with here. He's conflicted. He knows Jesus has done nothing wrong, but he's weak, and the political system completely fails, and he fails to stand up for what is right. And I find it interesting that Jesus was not interested in being released. You know, when Pilate says to him, give me something to work with here. Do you not know who I am, that I have the power to either release you or kill you? Do you actually say yes to these charges? Give me something in defense... And Jesus simply says, you would have no authority over me, verse 11, at all unless it had been given you from above. So Jesus turns the tables as if to say, Pilate, you think you are in control? You think you're here and I'm here? In actual fact, I've always been up here. You are on the board, you're playing, but you are not the master of the board at all. You are simply Doing the will of God in this moment. And so I think we need to be careful with Pilate because ultimately God was going to have his plan come through. He uses people for his aims. But Pilate does show real weakness, fails the justice system, and is just constantly caught between a rock and a hard place. But I often ask myself, what would we do in Pilate's situation? When you know if you let Jesus off, your job's gone, you might lose your life, you're going to lose all credibility. There's crowds, swarms of people saying, give us Jesus. So I often think, actually, how many of us would have done any different to what Pilate did on that day? Um, commentator Sameon Giwa says this, Pilate's power over Jesus was on loan from God. I really like that. Because Pilate thought he was the powerful one, but actually he was the weak one. And it's, I, I think of this when you take a, a loan out from the bank. The bank is always in control, you may get given a lovely lump sum of money. pilot gets his power. We get our money. You can go and spend it as you wish. You feel in that moment, I'm in control of my destiny here, my finances. But no matter how you spend that, no matter how you slice it, there is a day when the bank comes calling and you're accountable to them and you will pay back every penny that you've taken from them. They will always win. They are always the ultimate power. And so here with God, he is always always in control. And I think that should be so encouraging to us this morning that we look at the horrific nature of the cross and we think, wow, Jesus had to go through this. The disciples, how they responded and basically left Jesus. But all the time there is hope because God is sovereign. God is in control. Your lives this morning, no matter what is going on in your lives this morning, God is with you. He is over everything. He has, everything is under his feet. So I've no idea, personal circumstances this morning. Some of you are going to struggle to worship this morning. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm angry at God this morning. Why is this situation over me so heavily right now? Well, at the, the worst possible time in history, God was in control. He's still in control today. He is still your father. He is not absent. He knows what's going on, and he's with you in that. And my next observation is that the atonement was final, It says in verse 30 that Jesus breathed his last and he said, it is finished. And the question that made me think is, well, what what is finished? Do we think about what is actually finished? Is there nothing left, nothing for us to do, nothing that we still need to do to be right with God? No, the enemy is defeated. You crush a snake's head, it's dead. It's not coming back. There is absolutely nothing you can do as Gateway Church this morning to get any more favor from God, love from God. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you recognize the cross, you're living in light of that, you're covered. You're literally covered. You're a saint here this morning. I don't know if people believe that, or they think, oh, that's not me. You are a saint in God's eyes this morning if you have accepted Jesus in your life because he finally and completely paid for that mess on the cross. There's nothing left. And I think we so often strive and all of us are guilty in some areas of our lives, thinking, yes, but I still need approval, or actually I still need success, or I still need to work out this relationship, I still need something for Jesus to love me more. That's a complete lie. There's nothing you could do. You are completely free this morning, whether we feel like it or not. And I think there'll be some things that need to be handed over today. When we finish shortly, we're going to have just a, a time of response. And I just, I just want to start provoking you now you may not feel free this morning. If you do feel free in God this morning, the encouragement is for you to praise him, say thank you to him. But if you're carrying things, if even as I'm saying this, you're thinking, oh, if only you knew what was going on in my life, or actually the shame I'm carrying, or the sense of inadequacy, I do not feel like a child of God this morning. I would encourage you, you are. The lie is that you are not. The reality, the gospel is that you are. But we would love to pray for you and offer you that space. There will be people at either side in a few moments. And please just yeah, be brave enough to come and say, I don't have it all together. I feel tied down by this or this or this. Or I want to know the reality of the cross more. I want it to, I want it to hit me this morning and help me to live in light of it. Then we would love to pray for you this morning as a, as a family. And I'm just going to say briefly, the, the finality of the cross is not just present, but you can look back in your, your Bibles to the Old Testament, and people are constantly yearning and groaning for someone to come who is going to save them. There are so many examples of the Old Testament of atonement through sacrifice. So we've seen it. We've probably, we've read it before. We've heard it in sermons that an animal would be sacrificed. The people of Israel were always messing up. It was constant. Please be holy. No, we're not going to be holy. Okay, I'm sorry. Now I'm going to apologize. Covered by the blood of the animal, we go again. Vicious cycle. There was no finality about it. It was just rinse and repeat. And so we're made to look forward to Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus, who will finally come and deal with sin and shame and mess. And did you also notice that it says, Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation of the Passover? This is another example of divine timing at its best. Passover is the Jewish festival where they remember God rescuing them from the slavery of Egypt. The angel coming over to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. And God says, if you are my people, paint blood on your doorposts and it will pass over you. You won't be affected. They celebrate God saving them from slavery. And the cross is just another example of that. Again, Jesus comes to set the captives free. Everything you see in the Old Testament is an echo back from the New Testament. So God's been doing it for so long. And we have this example of Christ on the cross. It echoes back even to the scapegoat. Think about Abraham when he was so close to sacrificing his son Isaac. What happens? God says, no, no, don't do that. And then all of a sudden... We have a a goat tied up over here that they're supposed to use instead. It's a a picture of, should be you, you should pay this price, but actually I'm going to provide a substitute, a sacrifice. There's so many examples and types of that throughout the Bible for us. It's the gospel message. We are Barabbas. We're the ones who should not have been set free. We literally were Barabbas. Guilty as charged, innocent man. Jesus said, it's going to be me. I will, take, I will take the rap. Ephesians 4 says that you are now a child of God and we're to put on the righteousness of Christ. What happened at the cross is you were crucified with Christ and so you are now, as I've said, you are a saint. You are holy. You have Christ's righteousness. Now, whether you feel like that is one thing, but the reason we're supposed to immerse ourselves in scripture is because this is the truth. Your mind is not the truth. What you consume through m s is not the truth. We're supposed to keep coming back here. If you don't, if you neglect the word of God, if you don't think about the cross, you'll slowly just drift into what culture wants you to believe. You can't be in the middle. You're either disciple of Jesus, plugged in, or eventually you will drift. And you'll start to believe things that are simply not true. We have to armor up, wear the righteousness that Christ has won for us, and live in light of the cross. And I love another quote here. So this is Rich Velodis, who's an American pastor and author in New York. I've used this actually this quote before in a previous preach, but he says, "Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, naked and conquered by shame, but Jesus hung on a tree, naked and conquered shame." In Jesus, shame doesn't have the last word. So that's what I want you to hear this morning. Your shame has been nailed to the cross. Now, of course, we don't live in a perfect world. We're in this now but not yet world where we know the enemy's been defeated, but actually until Jesus comes again, we are still living in this world where we feel the pains of something's not right. We look at the world Far from okay. Think about how the nations are at war. Think about how people are treated. Think about, world poverty. Think about all the things, the injustices we see, and we hate them as Christians. We want them to be made right. We're in this in-between. I always think of it almost like a a football match. You may be 6-0 down in a football match with three minutes still to play. You've lost that game. The enemy knows it's game over. The enemy has been defeated. There is no comeback. But we're winding down the clock. We're not quite there yet when the final whistle blows and things are exactly as they should be. Everybody knows, all of us know here, the result is done. The verdict is cast. Not getting back into this fight. He is down. But until Jesus comes again, there are going to be things that we need to fight. And that's why when we come up in a moment, these feelings of sin and shame, anything that you're being told by people around you or the enemy is telling you, the world is feeding you, we have to apply it to Scripture and say, no, I'm free in Christ this morning. We're all free in Christ this morning to live with him in holiness and righteousness. You are a holy child of God, a son and daughter of the Most High. That's an absolute privilege. So if we need to let just go of anything this morning, we're going to have people come up in a moment. And we'd love, even if you just want a renewed sense of who God is, or for the first time, you want to say yes to Jesus, you're thinking, oh, Christmas. What's this baby about? Why is everyone getting so happy? Why is the word Christ in Christmas? Can't we just call it Xmas or something else? If you're curious and you think, this Jesus, I want to know more, we would love to pray for you. So I'm just going to pray for us. I'm just going to invite the band to come back up, who are going to help us respond. But let's walk in freedom this morning. The cross is final. You have been won. And your shame has been nailed to the cross. There's no need to carry it anymore. Jesus, we thank you so much for the reality of your cross, the truth of your gospel. Would you help us to feel that afresh this morning? to put down any shame, any sense of inadequacy, I'm not good enough, and would you just remind us, Holy Spirit, would you remind us that we are, we're saints, that we have your righteousness, and that we can walk upright and boldly and proudly because of what you've done for us. Give us boldness in response, give us courage to speak to people about how we're actually doing in our hearts, and I pray that you would bring people to yourself Help us to be lights for you and to live in the truth of your sacrifice. Amen.